0: In a stadium rich with tradition, the lights shine the brightest. This is The Camp. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Yes, welcome into The Camp here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. The Badgers have a big game coming up on Saturday. Number nine, Iowa, coming to Camp Randall. Wisconsin, a game back of Iowa and Minnesota. They essentially. Do control their own destiny as much as you, you can. They win out. They're going to be going to Indy and playing in the Big Ten Championship game, but they have to beat Iowa first, and uh, we'll get into that game here in a little bit. We'll also, talk with Scott Docterman, Jesse's counterpart from Iowa. He also works for The Athletic, obviously, and uh, we had a good conversation with him, real detailed conversation with him, and then we'll get into our picks as well, and Jesse, I think we've been a little bit better on our picks than we actually thought. I went back and looked into it. We'll get those numbers as well coming up here in a little bit, but 1st Obviously the uh, big story this week and really the last two weeks uh, off the field has been the transfer portal. Four guys out in the last two weeks, one guy in. We'll talk about the guy that's coming in here in a little bit, but it obviously we have to talk about the four that are going out. Devin Chandler the first one to do so, then Kane Lyles comes through earlier this week and then news breaks Thursday that quarterback Dante Burton and fullback Quan Easterling both heading to the transfer portal. So that's four guys. I got seven in total. If you want to throw in the uh, three running backs two that got dismissed, another one that's suspended. I don't necessarily, I, I mean, we can count those certainly, but I, I mean, I would really be, uh, I think it's really more about these last four that have gone out.
1: Yeah, I do too. The first three, if their circumstances were different, they'd, they'd probably still be on the team in terms of their availability. But this, the last two weeks has really been, more surprising. And honestly, the more this happens, the more this becomes the new reality of college football. If you're a Wisconsin fan or if you're a fan of any program, get used to it. You may not like the timing with guys leaving right in the middle of the season, but if you're unhappy and you realize that this isn't the place for you, you get in the portal as early as you can because that gives you the best chance to land a scholarship at another program. The closer you get to the signing period, one in December, the second one in February, the less likely it is that spots are open. So, That's what's happened here. I don't think this is like a program culture problem. I know that four players in two weeks kind of sounds the alarm bells a little bit. But if you really examine where these guys were and what their roles were, they weren't playing a ton. Caden Lyles lost his starting spot during preseason practice to Joe Tippman. And in the last few weeks, the offensive line has really gone with the starters rather than using the rotation we saw earlier in the season. Dante Burton. He's listed as a backup, backup cornerback, and and Caden was the backup center on the depth chart this week, but wasn't necessarily getting as many snaps as some of the other guys, like a Dean Ingram or an Alexander Smith. And Quan Easterling had appeared in two games. John Chanel gets all the fullback touches. His decision, to me, is interesting because you wondered what his role could have been next year, and maybe Chanel decides to come back. Obviously, everyone has a free year of eligibility, uh, but I thought he could have been a contributor in the next couple years. Again, these guys want to play now, and this is the best way forward for them.
0: Are there a lot of programs out there looking for fullbacks these days?
1: I don't know that there are. Um, I'm just kidding. that to that's, me, that's I, that to me was uh, pretty pretty surprising. But yeah. you know, we we'll, we'll, we games, don't know the right? reasons.
0: Like he's yeah. played in two games. They've had injuries at tight end, and and they've been using John Chanel in, in different ways, kind of like they have used tight ends. And then and then he still couldn't get on the field. Kind of says kind of where they think he's at, but. Again, you're right. They don't have another fullback. Technically, they don't have another fullback on the roster, right? Like It's, it's John Chanel and, and Quan Easterling, technically. Now, I feel like they could probably... They they use their tight ends, certainly, in that respect. Now, they have been down tight. But I, a guy like Cam Large could certainly be yes. a, a fullback,
1: right? A 100%. I think that that's the one thing about Wisconsin, and we've seen it time after time, that they can take guys at another position and make them a fullback, and they can excel. And I think they're are a handful of guys that can do it. And Cam Large, frankly, would be probably at the top of the list there. Um, you know, I don't think they're going to move Jackson Acre anytime soon, considering where things stand with the running backs, but there are multiple players that uh, that they could move there, and they may have to.
0: I'm a little surprised it took this long for one of these cornerbacks to transfer, to be honest with you. I've kind of been on that that train since uh, the Rose Bowl with the Ron Harrell, but um, you know, it's been a logjam of guys there, and it just seems like you know, Jim Leonard has finally, finally this year set in and, and no, I mean, and last year to an extent as well, but you know, this is Fayon Hicks and Cesar Williams. It's their team essentially at this point. And uh, then you throw in Dean Ingram, Ingram and when Alexander Smith is healthy and then Samar Melvin too, like there's just so many bodies there. I'm surprised it took this long for one of these guys to move on.
1: Yeah. I wouldn't have necessarily thought that Burton would have been the first one to go. Um, but he but was. Would,
0: and I mean, who's he, who else? Uh, Harold, right? But he's been hurt. So, yeah.
1: Well, you thought he was gone
0: two years ago. <laughs> Again, I did. I still think he's gone. I still feel, I mean, he's barely, he's played in like three games since then. So, yeah. But, uh, that There's been, there's never been, well, I should, I probably shouldn't say never because someone I'm sure will come up with one. But a guy goes from starting, a starting corner on a team that, you know, one uh, went to the Big Ten title game in the middle of the year, goes from that to, playing in three games or rest of his career and like not even being active for, uh, the Rose bowl, not even being, you know, he was active for a few games last year has been hurt this entire year. Like he's out for the year with the leg injury. We never even saw him during fall camp. Like it's, I'm sure there are examples of this, but it, 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 that, that's a pretty fall hard fall from grace for him.
1: Yes. Quite a precipitous fall is what I would say. But, um, you're right. It was, it's been an absolute log jam at cornerback. And even considering how many corners Jim Leonard and Hank Poteet have played traditionally um, there's still not enough snaps, but you're right. They've, they've you've got Caesar and Fayon playing a ton of snaps this year. They've earned every one of those snaps. We saw how well they played last week against Purdue. And when you've got young guys coming up the ranks, who are taking some of those reps in the backup spots. Eventually you find yourself wondering where do I go from here? And I know we'll get into this, but you look around at who Wisconsin potentially, or does bring in, in the transfer portal. And if it's at your position, that tells you an awful lot about what your future will
0: be. Yeah, be- before we get into who they are going to bring in, or they did bring in who's the backup center at this point, going into this game with Caden Lyles out I, I- at this point, I, Probably would I would probably say Bordelini. Yeah, I, that would be my think, guess. But I kind of think it depends on how many tight ends they have. Uh, yeah. You know, because the way that they've been using Cormac Sampson as that jumbo tight end, you kind of like that uh, what they've been able to do with him. And they've had to use him because they haven't had a ton of guys at tight end to play. But they're getting some of those guys back: Jack Aschenbach and Clay Cundiff both practiced this week. Potentially could be available for for Saturday. But I think the way that Cormac Sampson's played it as that jumbo tight end kind of feels like want to keep him there. So I would think Tanner Borderlini would probably be the option, but I just don't know how much practice time he's gotten there since last year.
1: I look at it as Sampson has a role in this offense and Bordellini doesn't if Logan Bruss is your starter and healthy, which he is. So that's why I would think Bordolini would be the Backup because I think they'll use Sampson in that jumbo tight end role. I, I don't, again, we don't know how many tight ends there are going to be, but he's played well in that role. And this is strikes me as exactly the type of game where you're going to use him in that capacity. Cause there's going to be a lot of mano imano mano in the trenches, run the ball, even though Iowa knows what's coming. And I think he's exactly the type of player you want in that situation. So for me with a game like this, I would guess Bordelina would, would be the backup center, but yeah, I, we'll have to see.
0: Right, and, and I think obviously Wisconsin's hoping that they don't have to worry about that and that yeah. uh, Joe Tipman is able to play throughout and play well throughout. So that, uh, again, Caden Lyles out, Kalon Girvin in. Gir, uh, excuse me, Kalon Girvin in. Is that how you say it, Kalon? I,
1: I called him and said, is this Kalon? And he said, yeah. So Kalon,
0: okay, Kalon. <laughs> that's right. All that's right. what I'm going with. Kalon Girvin uh, transfers from... Michigan State to Wisconsin. He's got a couple of years of eligibility left. You had an opportunity to, to chat with him. What went into his decision to leave Michigan State? and What went into his decision to come to Wisconsin?
1: Well, the reason he left, even though he didn't want to talk about why he left uh, Michigan State, is pretty obvious. He wasn't playing anymore. I think this is a great pickup for Wisconsin, which I'll get to in a minute. But this is somebody who started nine games for Michigan State. He started six of seven games last year. He started the first two games this year. And then all of a sudden, his role was diminished in the third game against Miami. By the fourth game against Nebraska, he didn't even play defensive back. He played five snaps on special teams, and the next day he entered the transfer portal. Now, Michigan State's got some pretty good talent back there. A couple guys who passed him up are an Alabama transfer and a Florida transfer, if I'm not mistaken. So that is why he entered the portal. Again, like Lyles, you put in all that time, you start that many games, like Lyles, who had started multiple games, and you're not playing, you're starting to look elsewhere. But how he came on, uh, uh, came to discover that Wisconsin was the place for him were a few different factors. He said, playing time, pretty clearly, very important to him. Defensive scheme, program culture, and education. And Gervin is actually a kid that Jim Leonard recruited when Leonard was the defensive backs coach in 2016, the first year he. He joined Wisconsin's program at the time. Gervin was a high school junior and Gervin visited campus a couple of times. The, one of the games that he came to was that Ohio, Ohio State game at night that went to overtime that the Buckeyes won. And so when Leonard started recruiting him this time, they had a previous relationship. He also had a was familiar with Hank Poteat, the cornerbacks coach, because he was previously at Toledo and recruited Gervin then. So he really relied on phone calls with those guys and his recruiting visits from five years ago. And he studied whether he was going to have an opportunity to play. And you look and you see that Caesar Williams, sixth year senior, this is it for him. Fan Hicks, fifth year senior. He could come back. He could use that extra year of eligibility. that the NCAA granted players last year because of the pandemic. But if he doesn't, um, playing time could be wide open for Girvin. I mean, I see him potentially starting. And if he doesn't, there's a, a rotation with guys like Alexander Smith and Dean Ingram. Um, so, I, again, I think this is a, a good pickup for Wisconsin, especially considering the the guys they can potentially lose at that, and you can plug him in right away because he understands the Big Ten. He's fast. He's physical. He was a, a four-star top 200 player in the 2018 recruiting class who had over 40 scholarship offers. Now, that may not mean as much three, four years later, but that's a quality player that you're adding who's going to contribute right away.
0: What do you think this says about Wisconsin's involvement with the – transfer portal. Is this maybe give you an idea of that? They're going to be active. I know obviously they were with Ches They were, you know, in spots where they potentially have not holes necessarily, but opportunities for competition. Is this kind of what you think they're going to be?
1: I would expect them to. And if they're not, I would question what the hell are they doing? Because this, <laughs> again, just like I said at the outset, this is college football right now. And if you're not pursuing the best talent out there, um, that's kind of a big part of your job. Now, as we've seen, you've got to get guys that that fit. That's extremely important. Ches Malusi was a fit. Now, if they had playing time available, but he's been able to ingratiate himself with teammates. He's, he works hard. He does all the, the things that he, he needs to do to put himself in position to succeed. And they do their research, just like they do with a high school recruit. So they're not going to go after everyone in the portal. They don't, they don't have the time or the means to do that. But when there's a need, I think clearly they're going to go after those guys pretty hard. And the other thing is, What they need to anticipate is, as you said, they're going to lose guys. They've already lost five guys to the portal. Now, two of those guys were dismissed from the program, and one of them was suspended. But I don't think this is the end of guys that we're going to see entering the portal. And in turn, you're going to need to add guys. So, yes, I think this is what we're going to see a lot of moving forward from Wisconsin and every other college program.
0: As we saw with Jalen Berger, do you risk alienating players? By yes, doing this though.
1: absolutely. You do right. that. So that has to be a consideration, right? As, and yeah. uh, the question I get asked most is uh, quarterbacks. Uh, you know, if, if Graham doesn't perform well down the stretch and you're not pleased with what's happening, do you pursue a quarterback there? And my response is you better be damn sure that who you're bringing in is going to be better and give you what you need because you run the risk of losing a player. And, and, and I'm not, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but again, that's the question that I'm asked most in terms of what position Wisconsin uh, would pursue in the transfer portal. That that's the one they ask the most. Will they pursue a quarterback? But yes, of course. You run on the risk of alienating someone and losing them.
0: Yeah. So burgers that now, uh, Al Ashford and I have no idea if this was uh, related to this uh, acquisition. But Al Ashford, the, the freshman cornerback, you know that Michael Jordan and I that uh, that meme from the Last Dance where he's like, and I took that personally. <laughs> uh, you know, he post he posted that. And again, I don't know if it was related to this. He then deleted it, but it was there. Um, so I, I don't know if that has anything to do with it. It could be completely random, but I, I thought that's worth uh, at least noting. And in terms of the quarterback thing, is, it's certainly something that is going to be uh, discussed by everybody over the last month of the season, how well Graham plays, how well he doesn't play, and whether they have to go that route. Because obviously they do bring in Miles Burkett, but... Um, you know, you're potentially going to lose other guys. And I, I've seen some, some people argue that there, there is not going to be anything in the transfer portal that's going to be better than what you have type of thing. Like, why would they be in the transfer portal otherwise? But I I kind of would disagree with that. Um, I kind of went and looked at this a little bit the other day. And, you know, transfer quarterbacks right now, they make up four of the top 15 spots for passer rating this season. Uh, a pair of transfers lead the country in touchdowns. Three of the last four number one picks in the NFL were transfers. More than half of the 13 quarterbacks taken in the 2020 draft were transfers. Um, You know, we've seen even in the Big Ten guys come in and and, uh, make an impact as a transfer going, you know, like sometimes you have a guy like a Hunter Johnson who goes who is a five star guy that goes to Northwestern and just wasn't any good. But then you also have a guy like Peyton Ramsey that goes from Indiana to Northwestern. It was it was solid. It wasn't great. But like Jake Rudock goes from Iowa to Michigan back in 2015 was actually pretty good for Michigan. Um, Ohio State gets Justin Fields. Like it's not like it always works out. It certainly hasn't always worked out for Wisconsin. If you think about Danny O'Brien and Allen Everage, obviously they they hit big with Russell Wilson. But I think I think there's going to be quality quarterbacks available um, in the transfer portal if they want them. If they want to go that route. And I don't know how big of an uh, attraction Wisconsin is to them. You know, just based on you know some of the the um, passing issues that they've seen this year. But I think that there are going to be some opportunities available. If that's the direction they want to go.
1: Yep. I I would agree that at least to express your interest. Now it's a two-way street and whoever they pursue are going to have to be interested as well. And that's a question we can't answer. Uh, and it's probably, I would think more difficult to generate some interest given what has transpired offensively in the passing game this season, but you never know someone who's looking for a, a fresh start in a new home may view it as an opportunity. Um, with untapped potential. I don't know. But again, if you do make that decision, you certainly have to be aware of what the potential repercussions are from that decision. Uh, I don't think I- I'll just go on record now. I don't think they're going to wind up adding a quarterback in the transfer portal. Um, I think they're going to, I think Graham is the guy moving forward. He's still got multiple years in the program. Um, I-, I, I think he'll continue to get better, but I also don't know exactly what that means. I, I think it's, <laughs> At this point, to expect him to be the savior that people thought he was, it feels almost impossible at this point. And the other thing that I do wonder, and I mentioned this in the mailbag this week, exactly who is he going to be throwing to next season? You're you're losing Jake Ferguson, Danny Davis, and Kendrick Pryor are gone. And so your top pass pass catching tight ends now as it stands, I would think would be Jack Eschenbach and Clay Cundiff potentially. There are a number of other options, totally unproven. And then at wide receiver, Chimray, DK, and who? Uh, Is it A.J. Abbott? Does Marcus Marcus Allen make a huge leap? Like, there are a ton of questions in the passing game that whoever is the quarterback, we're going to have some things to figure out.
0: Wide receiver seems like a spot you might target in the transfer portal as well. I
1: would think so. I would think so. Um, It's going to be fascinating to see this unfold, and it makes the offseason even more interesting now.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Fortunately for us, we're not at the offseason just – well, maybe I shouldn't say for us. Fortunately for fans, the, the offseason not yet uh, in everyone's focus yet because the there's a pretty big game on Saturday. Wisconsin taking on Iowa. It was a game that perhaps may not have meant uh, much when we talked about this probably a month ago, and Wisconsin was sitting at 1-3, and three, but they've now won three straight. They have moved to 2-2 two and two in the conference. They went on the road and beat a top-25 team in Purdue – and now they get a top 10 team in, uh, as, uh, in Iowa at home in a game that Wisconsin is favored to win, which, again, I, I don't think they're going to be an underdog in any game they play this season. It's going to end up being that way. They're not an underdog in any in any game they play this year. And uh, I wonder if uh, like a 6-6 six and six team has ever been that. No, I'm kidding. But it is a game that Wisconsin wanted, a game that they didn't think was potentially there. They were in a dark place, as a number of these guys was said before Purdue went into Iowa and, and beat the Hawkeyes, but they're here. And now it's an opportunity to take advantage of it. They took advantage of last week. Now they have a chance to take advantage of this one. I think it's a huge, huge challenge. And um, I, I think we'll, we'll, get into a little bit more detail, obviously w- with Scott Docterman coming up, but I kind of wanted to get in, into a few over-unders here with you, Jesse first, because I think the Wisconsin running game has come along these last, what, three games. They've really started to find something with Braylon Allen and Ches Malusi and um, our, you know, I think they're second in the Big Ten in rushing now. I think they're averaging close to, what, 219 yards a game. Over-under, Wisconsin's running game, 175 yards.
1: That's a big number against Iowa. I'm going to take the under. Um, you know, I I said multiple times in recent weeks that one thing Wisconsin has that separates itself from other teams in the West is a truly elite-level defense. Um, Iowa is not quite at that level, but they are pretty damn good and they're seventh in the country coming into this game and run defense less than 90 yards a game pretty clearly Iowa's strategy is going to be to make the other guys beat them and actually so Scott Docterman sent me a quote from Iowa's D line coach Kelvin Bell for a story that I'm working on about Wisconsin's offensive line and and that's Exactly what he said is what what they've shown recently to turn things around is they're putting the onus on the running backs and the offensive linemen. And the goal for Iowa is to make the skill position players, make the seven-on-seven type of guys win this game for them. So that's going to be the emphasis. They're, they're going to try to stop the run. And that's why I'm going to take the under, even though Wisconsin's been fabulous the last three games, this is a much better defense that they're facing. So the O-line's figured some things out but this will be the toughest challenge they've got left, for sure.
0: Yeah, Iowa giving up uh, an average of 89 yards per game on the ground. Now, yeah. Purdue was pretty darn good before last week as well. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think that's at least worthwhile to note. And, and you know, I and mean, I mean, they gave up a, a couple of big runs, but I think even they were able to gash uh, Purdue even on, on the short runs. Like, even if you take away the 70-yard you know run from Braylon Allen he still was like over 7 yards to carry. So like he, he it's going to be a tough task for Iowa. I think there's no doubt about that. But this will be the true test I think to show whether Wisconsin's offensive line is back to being able to bully people the way that they have these last 3 weeks against competition that maybe is not on the same level as Iowa. And you're right. They are going to uh not necessarily stack the box. They don't really need to. They play, you know, they play the four man front. But I think that perhaps uh, at least one notable thing to point out is, is the lack of Riley Moss at uh, mm-hmm. at cornerback for for Iowa, uh, who was having a ridiculous season until he got hurt. Was it the Penn State game that he got hurt? That he, uh, yeah, after after an interception, got hurt and uh, has missed missed the uh, Purdue game and is not going to be available on uh, on Saturday. So I think that's at least worth noting. However. <laughs> will it matter for Wisconsin because their passing game has been uh, largely anemic. And I think maybe that is being generous, but over under Wisconsin passing attempts, Graham Mertz passing attempts, that is 11 and a half.
1: Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to take the over on that. Um, Maybe that's going out on a limb since they just threw eight times. I just think they're going to, obviously their plan will be to run the ball, but, Iowa's plan is to stop the run, and I think they're going to have to be a little more balanced than they were against Purdue. I mean, that was Purdue was
0: Purdue was Purdue's plan not to stop the run.
1: Well, the thing is, I was yeah. I think even though Purdue beat Iowa, I feel like Iowa's defense, as it pertains to matching up well with Wisconsin's offense, is better. Um, it's just it's the same game every year between these two teams. It's it's I, so I feel like they're going to have to be a little more complimentary this game. Cause I just don't think it's going to come as easily on the ground. I just don't
0: No, I, I would agree with you. I'm just saying
1: like, but that's why I'm taking the over.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I would agree with you, but I, the idea that I was going to come in to stop the run. Well, yeah, everyone, everyone comes in trying to stop the run against Wisconsin. Some teams have more success than others. And well,
1: I think they're going to be more effective is what I'm saying, which okay. is going to force them to throw a little bit more. Okay. Um, I do. This is one interesting thing. Scott and I did a kind of a beat writer breakdown and it was great, um, by the way. (laughs) Thanks. Um, One of the interesting stats that uh, I used is because we keep asking too, like, how do you get Graham going early in games? And Danny Davis was talking about it. Well, the quicks like, you know, get the ball out of his hands early, get him into a rhythm. And that's how Purdue beat Iowa they averaged 2.5 seconds from snap to throw against Iowa, which was the fastest any team had done uh, against the Hawkeyes. And they had a lot of success. And so, you know, you you would say, or you could say, okay, Wisconsin should try to do the same thing. Get some quicks, get get Graham, get the ball out of his hands early. Except that he's last in the Big Ten in completion percentage, yards per attempt, pass efficiency on all of his passes thrown within 2.5 seconds of the snap. And it's just... The more you go through the numbers on Graham, it's really hard to find what's going well this year. So I don't know. I, again, I don't know what the answer is in the passing game. If if you haven't had success there, uh, because I think I was going to do their best to get after him. So I don't know what their go to is against Iowa. Did they just throw it to Jake Ferguson a bunch?
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, in non pandemic years, the last and and maybe this Cohen kind of coincides with the four-game winning streak that Wisconsin had before last year. They've been over 200 yards, 247 yards, or, or better in three of the four games, running the ball. So, like, I think maybe that that is the... If they're that successful with running the ball, do, do they win the game, do you think? Like, I th- I feel like if they are, if they're able to run the ball like that, like 245, 250 yards, yes, they're a very, very good chance of winning this game. But then it also comes back to turnovers it sure does over under i can't use two and a half because they're not averaging two and a half anymore but were you, um, were you gonna go
1: one and a half or two you can go two uh
0: over mm-hmm. under two turnovers for wisconsin yeah
1: see if you would have said one and a half i would have taken the over two that's tough you, think you think it's- know um <laughs> uh, i'm gonna take the over <laughs> yeah. um This is a tough one, and ultimately when Scott and I made our picks, which I know we'll we'll get to later, this is a big factor for me. It's just how can we trust Wisconsin's offense when they keep putting the ball on the ground or or throwing interceptions? The offense had four fumbles uh, last week against Purdue, lost two of them, and Iowa takes advantage as well as anybody in the country. Lead the country with 16 interceptions, second in the country with 20 takeaways. That's what they do well. I mean, you've talked about it multiple times that the difference between these two programs in this season is turnovers. So I think that's going to be a big
0: factor. All right, one more over-under here before we get to Scott Docterman. Wisconsin over-under, three and a half sacks of Spencer Petrus. Uh, he's been sacked 11 times in Big Ten games. Uh, it's gone up each time. Uh, two in the last three games. Two, three, and then he was sacked four times against Purdue. Played a big role in throwing four interceptions in that game. I'm going to take the
1: under. I don't know how many times I was going to pass either for as much as we're talking about the ineffective passing game and offense at times for Wisconsin. It's not like I was been lighting it up. So uh, I'm going to go the under. Maybe they get three sacks.
0: How many times I will run up against run in the middle of the defense. I know they've got the best center in the country, but how often do they try and pound the ball? Wisconsin's face. It it feels that would just feels like a waste to me.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it has been to this point. So you got to get, a little creative, at least.
0: Yes, they do. Uh, again, Wisconsin has been fantastic up the middle. Leo Chanel has been awesome the last two weeks. He's going to play another big role on Saturday. So, will Jack Sandberg, do you see the, the the stat that they are the top two, or I should say two of the top three highest-rated linebackers, graded linebackers, according to Pro Football Focus? Does that surprise you at all?
1: It does not surprise me about Leo. Leo's number one and Jack is number three. I think it's mostly because the stats that he's putting up are so eye popping. And we've talked about it the last two weeks, all American level. Um, with Jack, I think it comes a little more quietly. But they're, I mean, they are clearly making the case that they're not just the best linebacker duo in the Big Ten, but perhaps the country. They've been that good this season.
0: And Mel Kuiper Jr. has them both in his top 10 in terms of inside linebackers available for the 2022 NFL draft, which was, they were additions just recently, I think just in the last ranking. So um, obviously Jack is a senior. He could, he could take advantage of it, but he's not, he's going to be gone. And then Leo, as I've said before, I I do think there's a very good chance that he uh, ends up going as well. But Yes, uh, for now, a really, really good inside linebacker duo that's going to be uh, up for uh, up for a big challenge in terms of just slowing down an Iowa offense that hasn't necessarily been great, but has been good enough. All right, let's get into our interview. Here is Scott Docterman from The Athletic. And we do welcome in Scott Docterman from The Athletic here on the camp. All right, Scott. I've been making this argument for the last few weeks here. I think some people have agreed. Some people haven't, but the biggest difference between Wisconsin and Iowa this year is turnovers. One team forces turnovers and doesn't turn the ball over. The other team turns the ball over. and doesn't force turnovers. Now take the Purdue games out of the equation. Is there any accuracy to that comparison?
2: No, that is the, the defining statistic between these two teams. And uh, I think you look, Iowa's plus 12 in, in, turnover margin it's third in the country and they have 16 interceptions and four uh, four forced fumbles so that was the defining statistic in games especially against Iowa State and then Maryland where they had six interceptions so that really d- determined the outcome of the game and then you look at Wisconsin minus eight 124th that's not those are not winning numbers for it wouldn't be for either team because of their style of play and I think that when you've got a swing of 20, just through seven games, that's really hard to, to grasp because I think you look across the board. I mean, if Iowa doesn't have those turnovers, uh, they probably lose a couple more games. And um, there, and then of course, if you look at Wisconsin, if, they don't have those turnovers they probably win a couple more games or at least one more game so i think that that is the defining characteristic or defining statistic between these two teams and and uh that's made what end up may end up determines the outcome on saturday's game
1: scott zach and i have been lamenting wisconsin's ineffective passing game for two months now um and I mentioned in in our previous segment that it, it it wasn't as though Iowa's offense has been setting the world on fire, but this is a matchup clearly with two great defenses. What does Iowa's offense do to get something going against this Wisconsin unit, which I believe may go down as the best of the three four defenses they've had in the last decade?
2: <laughs> well, I mean, first of all, they're scared shitless. I mean, they're scared a lot, you know, by by uh, their defense now. I mean. There have been so many great Wisconsin defenses, and this one clearly is one of them. And and I mean, they were really good before the three since Aranda came, and then of course Wilcox, and now Leonard. I think has even taken it to another level. It's just it's awesome to see the almost the tight end types that have been able to, to you know execute from the outside as outside linebackers, and and it's been very a di- very difficult matchup for Iowa up front over the years because they're able they're they're so gap sound and they're quick and how they execute against Iowa's zone that a lot of times they're just, they have too much of pack, backside penetration and, and Iowa's uh, there's not a lot of room for Iowa's running backs to kind of get any kind of movement past the line of scrimmage. So that's been really a really challenge for Iowa over, over the years. And I mean, it was when it was a four three and JJ Watt was there and O'Brien Schofield and those guys, but it's been more so over the last seven eight nine years, but um what Iowa has to do is it, it's going to have to stick with the run, even if it's not successful, because it's just not going to be able to go back and throw. I, I look back at the 2017 game where it was just a massacre. Iowa picked up 66 yards and as good as Wisconsin was that day on defense it was also some real major strategic blunders by Iowa's offense which was they were getting decent push on first down uh, they averaged almost 5 yards a carry but then they would immediately pass and there was there was nowhere for them to throw and then they were third and long the, the linebackers would attack and Leon Jacobs and and all the others were were right there in uh, Nate Stanley's face and then it just you know, 66 yards to total offense turn into a disaster for wow. Iowa. Iowa's going to have to stick with that. Punting is not a sin in this game um, because the only way for them to respect the play action, which is probably best play thus far, is for them to continue to stick with the run. And, and even if it's only, hey, it's second and nine, it's third and seven, sometimes you're just going to have to do it. And I don't know that. The inside zone is going to work against this tandem up front. Uh, Lenderbaum will get his block. I'm not so sure anybody else will. So that's, uh, to me, I, I think that's going to be the, the key to Iowa, just being able to neutralize the line of scrimmage and be able to play complementary football.
0: Josh Jackson game, uh, I believe, is <laughs> yes. 2017. Yeah. Um, so obviously Wisconsin's found, a. it feels like Wisconsin's found something in the run game these last few weeks. They've been able to have some success. Do you think that they're going to ha- be able to have, like, you, the 2017 game, the 2018 game, the 2019 game, they were all over 200 yards, close to 250-plus. Um, are they going to be – they were obviously not that way last year. I think they averaged 1.7 yards per carry last year. Are they going to have be able to have success, do you think, against Iowa, or is this going to come down to which quarterback can make the fewer mistakes? I think
2: they can have – limited success i do not see a 300 yard game like we did two years ago when uh but jonathan taylor was there and it was a 24 22 game and it really other than that just incredible collision it was one of the loudest ones i've ever heard in person nate stanley at the goal line getting stood uh stood up and you know half a yard short of tying the game with three minutes to go i mean i i just don't see either back getting 300 yards. I don't see it being like what you saw against Purdue. Iowa's going to play this one a little bit more physically than, than even against Purdue. Uh, they, they've they kind of flipped to a 4 5 but for this game they'll run a 4-3. And uh, they're going to probably go more single-gap than double-gap just to ensure that some of these guys, especially the younger guys up front, don't get blown away by some of the pin and pull techniques that have made Wisconsin uh, so successful over the years. So I, I would say that there's going to be limited success in the running game for Wisconsin, maybe a little more than Iowa. I would anticipate it, Iowa's run defense to be more comparable to maybe what Wisconsin saw against Penn State maybe Notre Dame and, and certainly not what it's when against Illinois in that. So uh, it, it will come down eventually to at least a couple of plays through the passing game for both teams. And I um, Iowa's had, I was had some big passing plays this year um, at the right times, not a lot of them, but it keep in critical moments at Iowa state. Um, Spencer Peters came up with a big one. He certainly did a couple of times against uh, Penn state. So I would anticipate that will, possibly be a difference maker, but but we know how these games are played. Two outstanding defenses year in and year out, very physical play along the line of scrimmage. And it's probably going to come down to more turnovers um, and field position than maybe any other game either team plays this year.
1: Scott, one of the things I was clearly been able to do successfully this year is be an opportunistic defense. They're first in the country in interceptions with 16. They're second in the country in total takeaways with 20. This is a Wisconsin team that can't get out of its own way. It's turned the ball over 16 times. First of all, what do you think has led this Iowa group to be so successful? At a certain point, it can't be luck when you get that many. And secondly, what are your expectations in this matchup?
2: Yeah, first of all, I mean, coming into the season, no Power 5 team had more interceptions over a four-year period than Iowa. So this is kind of a history here. But to culminate that, they've all five of their defensive backs who – have started games going back to 2019. So they're really, they understand the defense. This was a good defense last year. It's been a good defense for a long time. They understand the style of play. It's primarily quarters coverage. Um, it's, it prevents the big play in a lot of cases, which frustrates quarterbacks seeking the big play, but they're also in the right place at the right time because they have so much experience in it. And uh, to be able to frustrate guys like now, um, Michael Penix uh, in the opener for, for a friend who you know had a good year last year, um, you know he, they were able to, to read him and how he was able to do it. And that's by experience. Riley Moss has been a three year starter. He will not play in this game. Uh, but then just you know getting six interceptions against Maryland, four against Penn State. They just they they com- combine really disciplined technique and. Geometry, and then also the instinctness and awareness to know where the ball is going based on their experience and and just reading uh, the, the style of play. So I think this is this is a strategy Iowa wants. Iowa wants it in the worst way. They want Wisconsin to throw the ball down the field. Uh, they know what Wisconsin's done, and then they don't care anyway. I mean, they feel pretty confident against anybody that if they start throwing the ball down the field, that they're going to get interceptions. So um, that's. I am sure Paul Chris knows and everybody else, that's not a winning strategy for Wisconsin. And so um, if they can get – so their key is in this game is uh, they expect Wisconsin to load up with probably extra offensive linemen playing tight ends, maybe seven offensive linemen in the game, so they know there's going to be more gaps. So instead of playing two gaps, they're going to play one gap, and they're probably going to bring more guys in the box, which they never do, to just try to stop the run and then force them into third and longs. And then it's up to, to Chris, it's up to um, Mertz, um, and it's up to those guys to. okay, do we really want to take a chance here? Or are we just going to say, you know what, let's just run it again. If we don't get it, we'll punt, ta- we'll live another day. Um, because otherwise, Iowa has proven it's one of the most dangerous teams in the country once it gets a turnover, not only just scoring uh, from the interception itself, but, but then turning that into offensive points because they don't generate a lot of points when, when it's just a traditional series. But after turnovers, they're pretty deadly.
0: The way you talk about this game makes me, makes me think that you really, really love <laughs> these matchups. Just Not even just this week, but just this series overall. Do you have a favorite game uh, between these two teams, whether recent or a long time ago, whatever stands out to you?
2: Yeah, Jesse knows this one pretty well. And that is because uh, last year during uh, COVID, we went through kind of the oral history of the 2010 game. Uh, between these teams, and uh, that to me was the um, the epitome or of the series, this rivalry um and what makes it great and special i mean you have 30 nfl draft picks who played in that game five first rounders you had eight lead changes you had both left tackles and both right defensive ends were first team all americans and had uh you know and, and were first round draft picks um so adrian claiborne on one side jj watt on the other um riley reef and uh still playing in, with cincinnati and then um uh, gabe uh Oh, the, the left to Karimi, uh, the tackle. So I loved that game. I thought it was an outstanding game. It meant so much because that was the last time that they were, got to play annually. And I know that was something that Barry Alvarez was really adamant and fighting for was preserving this series because, you know, it's not that far from one another. They're built with similar foundations and tenets. Their styles are different, but, but they both pride themselves over the they, – they, they fight over the same sheet of ice. And it's just, uh, you know – one's left-handed, one's right-handed. It's just that kind of difference. So that's what I love. I'm, I'm old school. I like caveman football. I want, I like slug it out. I don't mind 13 to nine or 16 to 10, as long as it's well-played defense. Um, so I, I, that's, that's why this series always intrigues me. And, and, uh, you know, because I I think these are the two most self-aware programs in the country. They know what they can do. They know who they can recruit. They recruit to a certain style. They know in central Wisconsin or northwest Iowa, they can go and find 6'5", 270, 260 and turn them into, um, you know, 330 on Wisconsin side and 305 on Iowa side and end up putting them in the NFL they struggle to find the four, three wide receiver who could stretch the field. And you know what, it gets cold and something, the ball hurts when it touches those players anyway. So they can get the tight ends, they can get the defensive ends, they can get the linemen. So I, that's why I really enjoy this series. 2010 stands out more than any other. and uh, But I think this one's going to probably be more like 2015, which was uh, 10 to six. And uh, Iowa scored the only touchdown. Uh, forced a fumble at the one. And Joe Schobert had one of those single Amazing performances I've ever seen. I think he was in the backfield more than C.J. Bethany was that day.
1: Well, it's probably not surprising Wisconsin lost that game since it turned it over five times. I don't know if the Badgers will turn it over five times this week, but you can never be too sure with what we've seen so far. <laughs> um, it's funny you were talking about the the types of players that that Wisconsin and Iowa get. I, Brett Bielema has talked about this multiple times that when he would talk to Barry Alvarez when Brett first got here about the recruiting strategy, Barry would always talking about the the big guys, the, the, like the Scandinavian born 6'6 guys who would be sacking groceries at the local grocery store. It was almost like you could pull them off trees or something like that in Wisconsin. So I, I you're absolutely right about the types of players that they get in these two States. Um, well, you've already said what you think the potential score of this game could be. So I, I think it's only right that we get your prediction here and get it on the record. What's your take on how this plays out? Who wins and why?
2: I, I do skew towards Iowa in something in the neighborhood of like 13 to 9. Um, I don't know that there will be more than one, maybe two touchdowns per game. I mean, both these teams are ground acquisition teams anyway. I think this is probably a game where there's no sin in punting is uh, as, as undelightful as it is sometimes to watch. But I think if uh, the teams get to midfield, it's almost like an, an extra point, you know, like, okay, we, we won this possession and now we punt and you're at the 10 and now you're stuck for a little while. And and I think you see that back and forth. Having watched Iowa perform in games where, I mean, they were down two touchdowns to Penn state at home. Uh, they were on the road at Iowa state, who I think is still a, a tremendous football team. And I think they will be, it at the end in the Big 12 and has, uh, you know, the number three defense in the country behind Wisconsin and, and Georgia and, and a veteran quarterback. I've seen the way Iowa can shut down those teams, that, that they're able to shut down Brees Hall, the best, you know, one of the best running backs in the country, first team All-American last year, be able to control the line of scrimmage enough where they force him to throw and then that's when they, they swoop. And I know that's been Wisconsin's challenge over the years. So I kind of, I anticipate Iowa winning the takeaway battle, They've got an outstanding punter, the best I've ever seen. Frankly, uh, you should be going to pros next year because he's 24 years old. But um, and Tory Taylor, and so I think they win the field field position game too. So at that point, they're they're risk averse enough, and then that's when the turnover margin comes into play. And I, I think that's why I like Iowa in this. If it if both teams have an equal number of turnovers and neither one were impactful or they're both impactful in the same way. And field position was even, then I'd probably skew towards Wisconsin, but we know that's not the case. So I think that's why I like Iowa just because of those other factors.
0: Well, it should be a fun game. Uh, Probably not for people that love great offenses, but people who love great defenses and Scott certainly is included in that. We'll see how that thing, uh, things play out on Saturday. Scott, thank you very much.
2: Thanks, Zach. Thanks,
0: Jesse, for having me on. Let's get into our picks. As I mentioned earlier in the show, we have picked games every week except for week one. We did not pick games before week one. I don't remember why, but we didn't. And uh, so we've picked 37 games. Uh, Large sample size is what you're saying. Yes, 37 games. You were twenty three and fourteen against the spread, very very impressive. I did not go back and and look over the uh, over unders, but twenty three and fourteen against the spread. I am twenty two and fifteen against the spread. So we're both doing quite well. You had a better week last week than I did. That's why uh, you are ahead of me. We were tied going to last week, but currently you own a one game lead, and uh, we will start. With number 6 Michigan traveling to number 8 Michigan State, Michigan favored by four. The over-under is 50-and-a-half. Both teams unbeaten. Huge, huge game there in East Lansing.
1: I'm going to go with Michigan State on this one. I like the points. Um, you know, I can see a three-point game either way, and what Mel Tucker's been able to do in such a short time period is pretty amazing. So I think the fact that they're at home, They've obviously both been playing well,
2: <clears throat>
1: excuse me, but I'm going to go with the Spartans and I am going to take the over.
0: Talking about somebody and talking about the transfer portal, Michigan State uh, has won the transfer portal this year. All, all the different guys that they have added through that transfer portal, Mel Tucker's done a fantastic, fantastic job in that. And has really turned things around because of that. I think they have, four, they have 14 transfers. That's just insane. But I uh, I am also going to take Michigan State. I, I don't know how good Michigan State is, but I don't again. I don't think Michigan State Michigan with Cade McNamara is great. So I'm going to take Michigan State. Number ten, Ole Miss traveling to number eighteen Auburn. Auburn is to a two and a half point favorite. The over under is sixty six. Yeah, uh,
1: <laughs> that's a lot of points. Um, I'm going to go with uh, I'm going to go with Ole Miss on this one.
0: It's good. It's a good pick. Matt Corral, one of the... the, uh, Yeah, I think he's second in the Heisman.
1: Well, it depends. I think we do do a straw poll every week at the Athletic. Um,
0: Yeah, I think he's second. Yeah, been fantastic. At Auburn, makes you think for a second, but I'm going to take Ole Miss as well. Uh, Number 10... Oh, I'm taking the over also. Okay, that's right. Yep. Uh, Number one, Georgia traveling to Florida. Now, Florida has not been great this year. Uh, they but they've made they they gave alabama all they could all they could handle earlier in the season. Georgia going on the road. It's, I guess it's not, not technically the road it's being played in jacksonville. What is that the, the world's largest cocktail, uh, party? cocktail party cocktail party? Yeah. So that uh, but Georgia 14 point favorite in that one. The over under is 51. I mean yeah. Georgia's
1: been just kicking people's Butts this year to go yeah. on the road and win by two touchdowns would be would be pretty special. But they've
0: again not the road. Uh,
1: yeah, I you know I'm going to go with Florida on this one. I think two touchdowns at home is enough for them to to cover. And I'm going to take the over. I'm going to take. I don't think Florida is going to win.
0: Yeah, George's off. George's defense just been insane. They it may be one of the best defenses that in college football history. The way that they're playing right now. So I'm I'm taking Georgia uh in that game and the under. And we've also got a big one another big one in the Big 10, number 20 Penn State traveling to number 5 Ohio State. L- Luster a little bit off this one after Penn State's debacle against Illinois last week with the nine overtimes because they could not complete a two-point conversion. Uh the over under I should say the uh Buckeyes favored by 18 and a half. The over under is 61.
1: Man, this wow. is a really tough one.
0: What's this what's what's the stat uh Ohio State scored on what 22 of their last 24 possessions, or it's I think it's 20 of 22. I don't know, it's, it's an insane thing. Uh, CJ Stroud has gone from a little bit of a question mark to Heisman candidate, very much a Heisman candidate. They have been uh insane. This is kind of what Ohio State does gets off to a little bit of a slow start with a new quarterback and now seems to be rolling.
1: That's what I was going to say. I feel like they do this multiple times a decade that they <laughs> uh they lose an early game and then roll through everybody. Um, I I'm going to go with Penn State because 18 and a half is a lot, even if it's at home. I know Penn State's lost back-to-back games and the crushing nine overtime loss to Illinois, but uh, I'm going to go Penn State on that one. But I- I'm going to take the over.
0: Penn State's defense is defense is good. I don't know how good it. I don't know how good it is, but I feel like they are going to be able to at least, certainly not shut down Ohio State, but at least perhaps hold them in check. But where's Penn state's mind at after what just happened to them against Illinois, especially with all these rumors about James Franklin and, and USC. So yeah, that's a big number, but it's also at Ohio state. It's a night game. I'm taking, uh, you know what? I'm taking Ohio state.
2: Yeah. Okay. I'm taking Ohio state just
0: cause, just cause it's Ohio state. I mean, in the way that they've played of late, their offense has been rolling. Uh, I, yeah. I'm taking Ohio state. Uh, and then the, uh, the biggest game of the week for, Everybody in Madison and Iowa City, number nine, Iowa coming to Wisconsin, Badgers, three and a half point favorites, the over under 36 and a half in this game It's the second time in three years that the, this game has been an over under in the thirties. So Jesse, who you got?
1: I suppose if you've been listening this long, you probably have a general idea of what direction I'm going in. I am picking Iowa. Honestly, I'd probably pick the Hawkeye straight up, but fortunately for the purposes of covering the spread, I don't have to do that. Uh, I just think Wisconsin's struggles in the passing game and the turnovers and the lack of ability to convert on third down will add up and create uh, some issues for them when you consider how good Iowa has been at taking the ball away. They're a very good defense. They're not quite on the level of, of Wisconsin's defense, but they're good enough to make life difficult on Wisconsin, and you could certainly say the same thing when you flip it around for Wisconsin's defense against Iowa's offense, but I just don't know how much I trust this Badgers offense, not to make that vital mistake that could cost them a game. And, and in a matchup that will presumably be a low scoring one possession game that can make all the difference. So I'm going to go the under 36 and a half. I don't know what number they could have picked for me to take the over, but I'm going to go ahead and say, I will wins this one 14 to 10. So I suppose even if they drop the over under 10 points, I'd still take the under.
0: I think it's worth noting that the this this over under thirty six and a half. It's the second time that these two times uh, I should say in the last fifteen years, the second time it's been in the uh, third time it's been in the thirties. In the last two times it's been in the thirties, twenty nineteen and two thousand six, the over hit. So I don't know what that means for for Saturday, but at least th- there has been um, history that the over has hit. And Wisconsin, I believe this is the second game uh, in the thirties. This year wasn't the army game in the thirties as well. I believe it was 39 and a half. We took the under and we were right. Barely. Barely. It's uh, 20 to, it ended up being 20 to 14. So I guess not. 34. Even, eh, we had some, we had some wiggle room, had some wiggle room there. I am. I, I don't know why I'm going to do this, but I'm going to take. Uh, um, I've gone back and forth. Like I think, I think Wisconsin wins, but I think Iowa covers. So mm. I guess I'm going to, I guess I'm taking Iowa here. I'm taking Iowa, but Wisconsin, wow. I'm going to take Iowa. I'm going to take Iowa to cover. But I think when, it, when I actually have to give a score, you didn't give a score there. I think you, I did. I, I said, Iowa 14, 14 to, 10, to 10, right? 14 to 10. Mm-hmm. Sorry. My bad. When, when you go score there, I'm, I'm going to say, uh, Wisconsin 20, Iowa 17.
1: Wow. So a real barn burner. I'm really surprised you're, you're making this pick based on <laughs> our conversations throughout the week, but I understand you're a game behind, in yeah. the uh, make one up. Yep. So this is the one to do it.
0: I got to make one up. And again, I uh, the thing is, Wisconsin put the ball on the ground five times last week. They, they only lost two of them, but they put them on the, on the ground five times. They tried. They tried to match Purdue in terms of turnovers. They couldn't do it. But they got close. I just I, I do think Wisconsin's going to have success running the ball. I do think Iowa is not going to be able to run the ball. I think they're going to have to make some plays in the pass game, and it's possibly they can. But I don't think they're going to be able to hold up against against the way that Wisconsin's rushing the passer right now. I don't know if they're going to be able to hold up long enough to be able to make those throws down the field like they were able to last year. Last year, and and obviously they had Smith Marset, and that's just a he's just a difference maker uh, on the outside. I don't know if they're going to have enough time to make those plays down the field. I, I don't trust Graham Mertz as far as I can throw him, and I can't throw him very far. So. <sighs> It's very tough, but I, I do think Wisconsin defense does enough. There's a there's a special teams play in there somewhere to, uh to go along with the defense. Uh, perhaps the defense giving Wisconsin a short field or two. I'm trying to find reasons to back up my pick. It's not going great right now, Jesse. But I will say, um, I will say, Iowa covers what Wisconsin wins.
1: Okay, the pick is in. So All right.
0: it is. We'll see it. how it plays out. You're right. I do need to pick up uh, some games here. We do have. Uh, t- technically, we're only what we got another. Four weeks after this of regular season football, so I, I have some more time to make up that game. But this this might this week might be a good start. Might be a good start. All right, Jesse, thank you very much. Thanks, Zach. All right, there he is, Jesse Temple from the Athletic. You've been listening to the Camp here at the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.